Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Josh Noble and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the global news stories that matter. Narendra Modi begins his second term in office this week after a landslide election win. Jotna Singh discusses what he must do to live up to the hopes of the armies of young people who voted for him with Amy Kasman and Stephanie Finlay. We begin with the voice of one young supporter. I think the world should know that India has finally woken up. We are not sleeping anymore and uh, now we know what are our rights. Who is the right person? Who is good for India? We don't think on communal basis anymore. We don't vote on the basis of caste, on the basis of religion. Now we vote for developed India. We vote for development. We vote for India and not a particular party who has always ruled India like Congress. Yeah. Amy, the sheer scale of his victory has surprised many. What is your assessment of Mr. Modi's triumph? Look, I think the scale of Modi's victory is down to really multiple factors. First of all, the opposition was really in utter disarray. I don't think the Congress party has really truly recovered from the battering that it received in 2014. I think in terms of leadership, they didn't have a very clear electoral strategy. They were completely disorganized. Other parties were factionalized. So, the opposition did not offer any kind of convincing alternative to Mr. Modi. On the other hand, you had the BJP, Mr. Modi's party, an incredibly well-organized, highly tuned and deeply resourced political machine. They had a great product in Mr. Modi. He's a charismatic, strong leader, highly conscious of his image. And then behind him, he had this incredible machine with all its resources. Mr. Modi's government over the last five years had started a lot of social welfare schemes. They estimate that 220 million people benefited from one Modi government scheme or another. This included things like distribution of gas cylinders to people who had previously been cooking on highly polluting cow patties or wood or charcoal. They opened bank accounts for millions of people. They delivered toilets or funding for people to build toilets. There was funding for building low-cost housing Other governments have also had a lot of schemes in the past, but these were probably delivered more efficiently. But then the BJP party machinery was absolutely astute in maintaining contact with all of those who benefited from any kind of government program. And then the party with its machinery reminding people who had delivered these benefits to them. And overall, Mr. Modi just really projecting himself as the confident, strong, decisive, and really one and only leader for India against a weak and fragmented and unconvincing opposition led to essentially a massive landslide that we've seen, really a historic verdict. The first time in decades that any leader has gotten two consecutive single-party majorities on their own. Stephanie, You were at the BJP headquarters on the day election results came out. Did you get a sense that people's expectations from Mr. Modi will be even higher this time? So the mood was just euphoric at the headquarters. Thousands of people had come, they were dancing, playing music, and they were thrilled to be part of what they saw as a historic moment for Mr. Modi and also for India. 
in their eyes, Mr. Modi can deliver what the Congress has failed to deliver in India for so many years. And many people repeated the line to me that it's only Mr. Modi that can take India from a developing to a developed country. Most young people were very confident that Mr. Modi could deliver on his promise to create jobs. And they said that Mr. Modi gave them the motivation to get a job, not necessarily that he would create government jobs for them, but they did expect that Mr. Modi would create a booming business environment that would take India into the future and them along with it. So, Amy, huge expectations. Tell us what are the key challenges before him? The astonishing thing really about this election, what came as a surprise to many, is the fact that in 2014, Mr. Modi had campaigned on a promise of reviving economic growth, creating millions of new jobs to absorb the young people in the workplace. In fact, Modi's track record on the economy is pretty patchy. And right now, there is actually a lot that needs to be dealt with. India's economic growth is slowing down. In the last quarter for which we have the data, it was 6.6%. There are some people who think that the next quarter could be even slower, that some growth may come in under 6%. So growth is really faltering and growth is critical because it's with growth that you get jobs which are so badly needed. There's also serious issues in the financial sector, these things called non-banking financial companies. They're not really banks, but they provide a lot of consumer credit, which is driving demand and keeping growth going. But many of them are very, very shaky. One has already collapsed. If others collapse, it will have an impact on the banking system because around 5% of all bank lending is to these non-bank financial companies. The government's finances are also not in very great shape. The government wants to try to step up spending to try to revive growth. But in fact, they don't really have the fiscal space to do so. Tax collections have come in well below expectations and their plans for accelerated growth will be hard to meet given the level of tax collection. So there's a lot of stored up trouble. Meanwhile, private companies haven't really been investing in the Indian economy either throughout the whole term of the Modi government. And the banking system also has still weighed down with heavy non-performing loans. The question is really, what is the Modi government planning to do about these problems? Because we haven't seen any clear indications of how they plan to tackle these issues, how much they feel the urgency of the situation. Mr. Modi's foreign policy is considered one of the main achievements of his previous tenure. What are the issues confronting Mr. Modi on foreign policy and trade fronts? Mr. Modi has reached out to leaders across the globe. He's tried to avoid taking sides in some of the rifts that have arisen in the international system, particularly rising tensions with the US and China. He's reached out to Chinese President Xi Jinping. He's reached out to Trump. He's reached out to Japan's Shinzo Abe. He's tried to indicate India's willingness to be friends with everyone. 
I think I see a few challenges ahead, though. Under Trump, America is really forcing countries into hard choices. For example, India has traditionally good relations with Iran, but the U.S. has pressured India and other countries to stop all their energy purchases from Iran because the U.S. wants to put the squeeze on Iran. The U.S. for a long time has been rather tolerant of some of India's economic policies that make it tough for American companies to do business in India and are seen as favoring Indian companies. In the past, the U.S. was willing to tolerate some of that from India because they thought India is a democracy. We want to encourage India to rise and grow strong economically so that it can serve as some kind of regional counterweight to China. But under Trump, it seems like trade is everything. And Trump will be more concerned about a $20 billion trade imbalance with India than the long-term strategic interests of a stronger India. So The U.S. is putting a lot of pressure on India, and this is a kind of a friction point. And generally, I think India is going to find the U.S. is pressuring India to take sides, and it's likely to get tough with India. Hindu nationalist vision of India has often clashed with secularism enshrined in India's constitution. Often during the campaigning, we heard that the election this time was about the soul of India. Do you see any serious threat to India's diversity this time around. The idea that defined the first years of India in the decades after its independence really as articulated by Mahatma Gandhi and then his political heir Jawaharlal Nehru was that India was by its nature a diverse, pluralistic, multi-faith society. The state was to be secular in the sense of not having a religious identity and not preferring one community over another. Alongside that idea has been another idea championed by the RSS formed in 1925 that India is primarily a Hindu country. It is clear that the BJP has been heavily influenced by this second ideology. In fact, the BJP was formed by the RSS to promote these ideas and carry this message into the political sphere. The election campaign had a lot of hostile anti-Muslim overtones from many in the BJP. One of the candidates for the BJP who's been elected to the parliament is someone who has actually been criminally charged with involvement of a bombing of a Muslim burial grounds where at least six people, including a young child, were killed. Many were quite shocked that the BJP would put up such a person who's still awaiting formal trial in connection with this case. In the wake of his landslide re-election victory, Mr. Modi did make a speech where he talked about we want to win over the trust of minorities of this country, we want to govern for all But I think given the divisiveness of the campaign, while Mr. Modi has clearly made the right noise, you know, these conciliatory comments about winning Muslims' trust, I think it will take more than one speech to reassure minorities that they will be protected. And I think that it will be the actions, finally, that will speak louder than a few words. That was Jotsna Singh talking to Amy Kasman, our South Asia Bureau Chief, and Stephanie Finlay, South Asia correspondent in Delhi. 
Thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on the proposed merger between Fiat Chrysler and Renault, Russia's attempt to foster homegrown industrial champions, or the European parliamentary elections, you can find them all on the usual podcast platforms. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.